Welcome to episode 126 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Telepractice Today. Unfortunately, the person we had lined up for this week's episode had an emergency at the last minute and had to cancel on us. So we are re-airing an episode from our early days and where we discussed telepractice with the amazing Amanda Blackwell. If you didn't hear this episode way back in those early days, a couple of years ago, then you're in for a treat. She's doing some wonderful work. So here's that episode with Amanda Blackwell. So we have um, Dr. Amanda Blackwell, and she is speaking to us from um, Guatemala and is doing great work down there with so many different organizations and is doing a lot with teletherapy too and has done a lot to train other people on teletherapy. So we wanted to highlight her and her work that she's doing. Sounds great. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I want to invite you to tune in to some other podcasts that we've developed here at the 3C Digital Media Network. We have Act to Live, The Listening Brain, and our newest podcast, Empower Ear Audiology with Dr. Carrie Spangler. All of our podcasts are available wherever you choose to listen, so please tune in and subscribe today. And now, back to the interview. Amanda Blackwell, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us how you got into telepractice? Sure. Thanks so much for inviting me to be here. It's really a pleasure. Um, I got into teletherapy about probably three years ago um, because I live here in Antigua, Guatemala, um, and I do a lot of volunteer work. Um, so I was trying to find a way to maintain uh, you know, my U.S income. Um, and that would free me up to be able to charge a lot less here in Guatemala to, to local clients and um, institutions and schools and foundations where I work. So, um, so I got into teletherapy. I did um, three days a week at first and then four days a week and five days a week um, at, at the highest point um, because I was also working on my SLPD, my clinical doctorate. Um, and and that just allowed me a lot of flexibility there. So um, I've been doing it since before it was cool. You say now, <laughs> now everybody's doing it. Um, so yeah, it's been a journey. I love technology. I love presenting. I love making presentations, mm-hmm. like designing them on the computer. And so for me, the transition to telepractice was pretty seamless um, just because I love all the digital materials anyway. Um, And we have so many super creative colleagues who have created amazing materials for us. I know you had Stacey Kraut on Mm -hmm. on earlier. um, And I I think I've paid her rent several months because I buy so many of her materials, (laughs) but they're amazing. So, um, so yeah, I just, I've really loved doing teletherapy and now I've really enjoyed um, helping my colleagues who are just being thrown into teletherapy get started. Well, that sounds great. And and so I should have said Dr. Blackwell, and I apologize for that. So how so how did you 
I know you, you went to school here in the States. So how did you end up in Guatemala? Tell us a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, so it is quite a journey. I um, was doing my master's PhD combined program at UT Dallas in Texas. Um, And on my last semester of my PhD um, coursework, I decided to go on a mission trip during spring break. Um, So I went down to Honduras, actually, with a, a surgery brigade, like a medical brigade. And I spent all of my time, it was at at an orphanage. So there's like a surgery center within this orphanage. And I spent all of my time um, in the the home for children with disabilities. And so I just, I had traveled a lot before this trip, but I had never been here to Central America. Um, And I just remember being fascinated by how well adjusted the, the children with disabilities were, despite not having had a lot of therapy. They had these like innate survival skills. Like if the whole group of, um, of children like got up and left to go to lunch or whatever, the, the nonverbal child with autism, probably level three would, would notice and, and run after the kids. And those are things that a lot of times we don't see in the U S that those kind of things, but, but they've developed these different skills, I guess, out of necessity. Um, so I went back to Dallas after that 10 day trip and I was just just deciding like, okay, I can't just pretend like I didn't just see what I just saw. Um, I feel like I need to do something more with my life and get away from the cushy, like luxury, <laughs> um, everything that I had. I mean, I was a grad student, but I was still doing just fine. Um, and so I decided to take a leave of absence from the university. Um, I asked for a year of absence and I decided to apply to that, um, that same group of orphanages, which is called Nuestros Pequeños Hermanos or NPH. Um, and they have nine orphanages in different Latin American countries. And so they just so happened to need a speech pathologist here in Guatemala. So I had never been here before. I didn't speak Spanish at the time, actually. Oh. And um, but I just went for it. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I'll go for three months or something, but they they would only take a year minimum. So that's why I did the year of absence from school. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll give it a year and then I'll come back. But that was seven years ago. <laughs> so um, I ended up just loving it here. Um and just seeing the needs, you just, it's, it's hard to just go back to normal life after that. So, so one year turned into two and three and four and seven years later, I'm still here, <laughs> but loving life here. You get addicted to being useful. You know, I mean, I think we have the luxury of, of a wonderful education in the United States and, and there's just not access to that here. So there's, there's so much to give and, and so many places to be helpful. That's great. You're our first international guest. (laughs) Um, For people that might be thinking about doing something similar, what were some of the hoops you had to jump through and things that you had to figure out about serving kids in the U.S. and being somewhere else? Yeah, so here there are no licensure requirements. Here, speech therapy is kind of like an associate's degree. It's a three-year program. Um, and so there wasn't uh, a professional association for speech therapists. Now there is. We started it. Um, you but, started it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I started, yeah. But but now we're a team. I got a team together, and then we're the ones who brought it to fruition, and now it's thriving. The team, and now I'm vice president. I wanted to give it to the Guatemalans as quickly as possible. I started as president, and then quickly backed off. Um, but I needed to 
worry about more licensure in the United States. So I was already licensed in Texas, um, but getting into teletherapy, um, just talking to the different companies and now being a bilingual speech pathologist, um, they recommended certain states to um, get licensed in. So now I'm licensed in California and Washington State and New Mexico, Nevada, and, and then Texas as well. So um, so those are all the states where there's a huge need for for. Spanish, English, bilingual speech pathologist. And, and I got jobs right away. I mean, I had a lot of offers. Um, I just needed to get that licensure set. Um, so yeah, there really haven't been any barriers on my side. I was able to get high-speed internet um, with an ethernet cord. That's really the key for me. And also having a battery backup um, like UPS box that I have my router plugged into because the power flickers here all day long, <laughs> probably five or six times a day. And so that would be an issue if I were connected to Wi-Fi, but I, I've got my ethernet cord plugged directly into my computer and then I've got that backup generator. So every time the lights flicker, the router doesn't have to restart. So honestly, I haven't had any issues at all um, with connect connectivity. Connectivity. Is that what we say in English? Sometimes English is hard for me. Um, so, so yeah, so there haven't really been any barriers there. Now that we have the associate, the association here in Guatemala for our professional um, speech therapists, um, now we are doing certification and we're, we're making sure that everybody is doing continuing education and really trying to improve overall the, the professional um, preparation for, for people that are in our field. So I know of five other American SLPs who live here in Guatemala and all of them are members of our association now. They've been mm -hmm. part of it too. So it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So are they doing something similar? Are they serving uh, clients back in the U.S. or are they focused on, okay. So, so we all do a little bit of both. Actually, they're all doing teletherapy now. We've kind of referred each other. We've been each other's referral sources to all of our <laughs> teletherapy companies um, and helping each other out there. Um, and, and then that also allows us, just like I'm doing, to be able to serve here and, and take on local clients for a lot uh, cheaper than we would be charging in the United States. So it's been really great to have the best of both worlds. And we stay connected um, to all the latest and greatest evidence-based practice in the U.S. and all the paperwork that's changing all the time. It's actually good for me to keep up with, with changes in the laws and the IEPs. And, and I've learned a different system um, in every state that I've worked in. So it's been really eye-opening for me because I got kind of lazy being here in Guatemala with paperwork because nobody's like requiring you to to do those reports and the, and the updates every three months for insurance companies and things like that. Nobody covers speech therapy here. So, so I kind of got out of habit of doing, that. <laughs> but, but now I'm right back into it. Now I do all my IEPs and my Medicaid reporting and all those kinds of things. And it's been really good because that's also um, reminded me of the importance of documentation, that there really is a need for it and, and reason why we do it. So I've, I've gotten back into that with my local clients as well. So you founded something else that I noticed. I, I don't know when you sleep. I reading your bio, uh, Luna. Tell us about Luna. Luna, I love Luna. So uh, last year, I um, I did an evaluation for a little three year old girl, and I confirmed the diagnosis of autism for her family. And her mom was is a special educator and worked more with the deaf blind population and did a lot of. AAC already, and she was already familiar with how to do all of those things, but she wasn't recognizing in her daughter the, the symptoms of autism, and she wasn't realizing that, that she is autistic. And so when we did confirm the diagnosis, she was like, 
uh, hello, I already know how to do this. I know because we were talking about she was nonverbal at the time and we talked about the use of AAC and, you know, modeling and all those things. And she's like, I know how to do this. I just she wasn't doing it before because she was separating her her professional life from her private life. And so um, when she had this wake up call um, and this realization that her daughter is amazing and autistic and um, and she had all the tools necessary to help her, um, she's like, we need to get this information out there because there's just not a lot of um, reliable sources for people who are Spanish speakers um, to um, to get reliable information. So we decided to start LUNA, which means uh, Legado Universal del Autismo, which is the universal legacy of autism. And our, and our, it's kind of a double meaning because LUNA means moon um, in English and, and the moon doesn't have its own um, light source, right? It reflects the light of others. And so as LUNA, we're trying to reflect the amazingness mm. of um, autistic individuals and really help get their messages out there. Um, and so what we do is we take scientific journal articles, uh, we read them, we're, we're both bilingual. Um, so we read them in English, and then we just really break them down, really simple. Um, we make 10 different like slides um, that we put on Facebook and Instagram and mm. LUNA Autismo. Um, and I illustrate them with symbol sticks and we make them really super simple to understand. So we explain echolalia, we explain how to use echolalia in a creative way to build language skills. We talk about neurodiversity. Um, we bring up all kinds of different topics about how to talk to your child about being autistic, like celebrating who they are. Um, we, we've done all kinds of, of posts. And in one year, we have 25,000 followers already, oh. which shows the huge need for, for this kind of information. And it's just so easy to digest. And that's what we get. We hear time after time from families all around the world um, about how, how like, oh, I understand what echolalia is now. Now I'm not sad that my child is has this uh, obsession or, or enthusiasm. Um, and now I know how to use it and I know how to follow their lead. Or, uh, we're just hearing all kinds of things about how we're making things easy to understand and we're making autism not a scary thing. Um, and so that's exciting for us. And we just started doing these online courses mm-hmm. um, where we have people from 17 different countries who are participating um, in that. And so we're really just trying to change the, the way that people think about autism and just make it accessible and, and I don't know, celebrate it. So we've had um, already in six months now that we've started our online courses, like I said, 17 different countries and more than 200 people who have already graduated from our eight week courses. And, and it's just exciting to see how people are implementing putting into practice what they're learning right away. And we get messages all the time about how they're using social stories and, and mm-hmm. how they're, they're doing more developmental um, approaches and playing with the kids and, and learning so much along the way. So, so that's been really, really gratifying to see um, such a huge change in, the, in a small amount of time. It's a huge amount of effort behind the scenes. Um, I'm sure. Make, I, I'm like super detail oriented with my AAC and my visuals. And so um So every publication has many hours of work behind it, even though it looks Mm -hmm. so simple on the other side, but, um, but it's still great. It's, it's completely worth it. And I've enjoyed every second of this project. 
Um, that's amazing. And such um, a thing that's needed everywhere. I think I worked in early intervention here and uh, worked a lot with our Spanish interpreters, even though I don't speak Spanish. And I know that that was always a barrier getting them information. And, you know, I had all of it in English and I could explain it to them in English, but not um, being able to make that uh, something that they could easily understand. So I appreciate that you've, um, that you've taken that globally for everybody. Thanks. It's been exciting. Have you noticed uh, any differences? You know, we all want to be culturally sensitive. And I'm just wondering if you've seen how, is there cultural differences from your perspective in terms of how families would view telepractice or technology and maybe, you know, you working with families, whether it's autism or some other, um, some other disability or, or, or diagnosis. Are you seeing any cultural differences in terms of how families, you know, want to work or be coached or things like that? It's been a huge adjustment. It definitely has. Um, and I think it's because the country as a whole is just not as used to relying on technology uh, as the United States is. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody doesn't have an Alexa in their home, although I do, and she's probably listening right now. Um, and, um, you know, things like that where we're not used to that kind of technology. Uh, schools do not provide AAC devices. We just don't, we're not surrounded by technology like we are in the United States. So, so when we stopped in-person services in March, um, people just kind of stopped everything for a little bit without the contingency plan because nobody knew how long it was going to last. But it was also because there was this lag time because people didn't know what to do. I mean, teletherapy was probably something they had never heard of. Um, And I know there are some people in the U.S. that had never heard of it before, but I think a lot of people kind of knew that it existed, but they they maybe hadn't ventured into it yet. But here it just was just completely unknown. Um, And... So it required a lot of education. I supervise at at two places in Guatemala City. One is is called Down Guatemala, which is for children and adults with Down syndrome. Um, And the other one is called Fundal, where we work with um, children who are deafblind and have multiple disabilities. So um, these two associations are amazing um, and do amazing work. And it's all in person. It had all been in person before. And that kind of a in-person relationship is highly valued in Guatemala. Just as part of the culture, face-to-face is is really how you make connections with people. And if you show up, that just says a lot about about your commitment to the family and all those things. So people really appreciate that in-person interaction. And so then taking everything online um, has kind of, you know, tainted that, I guess, a little bit. And and people were not sure how it was going to go. But now when we show up to a Zoom meeting or we show up to a WhatsApp video call, we're seeing that that people are appreciating it just as much because now they've been stuck at home for seven months almost. Um, and, and that phone call is something that they're looking forward to because it's their connection with the outside world. Um, and especially when you have children with disabilities, you know that that can be tiring and taxing on a lot of families, especially ones that are not used to being home all day, every day with their child with disability. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that families have adjusted. Um, they've grown to appreciate these kind of uh, whatever interaction we can get. 
Um, and they're seeing that their children are learning. And not only are their children learning, they're also feeling more empowered because we're giving them all the skills and tools that they need with the coaching um, to be able to work with their own children. And so I think that they've seen the value in that and, and families are, are coming around to it. That being said, we do have a lot of issues um, with, with technology. And so um, teletherapy, high quality teletherapy is not just a video phone call. It's interaction mm-hmm. um, and the back and forth, you know, turn taking and all those things. And when we're on a teeny tiny cell phone, we can't really get that, especially with our kids who, um, who have those complex or multiple disabilities. So, um, so that's been a challenge because my definition of teletherapy is not what we're implementing here. Um, with the majority of our families, just because we, we can't give them loaner computers and Chromebooks and tablets because we don't have those and, and our organizations cannot afford to, to purchase a bulk <laughs> shipment of all of those things. So, so that's been a challenge, but, but culturally, I, I do think we're accepting it. We're, we're growing more accustomed to, to not doing face-to-face, um, even though it's been really, really hard. Because here in Guatemala, when we greet people, we give a kiss on the cheek and, and everything is just very people, lots of people together (laughs) interacting. And so when we're not in person, that's just a huge change. So we'll see what happens as we start to open back up and and get together how it's going to go. But, but yeah, it's been a huge shift. How's the internet infrastructure? I was just curious. So I live in Antigua, which is um, mm-hmm. probably 45 minutes from the capital. So the capital in Antigua, where I am, where there's a ton of expats and foreigners who are here, um, have really good internet. I mean, you can get it. You can get access to it. You have to pay for it, but it's sure. it's certainly available. But really, when you get outside of this, these two cities, eh, it's hit or miss. Um, mm-hmm. You go through zones, like when I'm driving, even when I'm driving to the capital, I go through a complete dead zone where there's like no service and you you won't get service. <laughs> um, and that's just within a 30 mile radius. So you can imagine as we get farther and farther outside of the city, um, that, that connectivity is a, is a huge issue. So um, it's, it's a problem that we are actively working on um, at Fundal where, where I'm the supervisor. Um, we just got a big grant from the Lavelle fund for the blind um, in New York. I think they're in New York. And we're, we're charged with developing a platform, a mobile platform to reach our rural families. And so with the purchase of the, these tablets that we're going to be providing to families, we're also uh, looking for alliances with local telecommunication companies to pair that with internet. So it's a huge challenge, though, because we talk about the little tiny pueblitos that we go to really far away um, and where we're trying to get them internet access. And, and even those companies are saying like, okay, we're going to see if we can help you out with that or not, because they're just so remote and so far from their network uh, that they've got their existing network anyway, um, that it's, it's a real challenge. So, but when you're born with, when you have a child with disabilities in these far out areas, you just have zero access to services um, and, and very few opportunities for, for getting access to services because we don't even have the, the infrastructure to be able to get you access, even if we could, you know? <laughs> so, so that's our big challenge right now. And, and we're, we're well on our way to creating this, this mobile app that's going to be able to um, be great for families who have children with disabilities, but also for our adults who are illiterate, we're making it um, a very, very super simple um, platform that they're going to be able to navigate without issue because it's going to be so um, 
so intuitive. We hope so. <laughs> um, that's our goal right now is to make it just using symbols and, and icons and, and really no words to get there. So that's what we're trying to do right now. Well, that's awesome. That's just really impressive. I mean, truly, when do you sleep? I mean, this is just amazing. <laughs> no, and I'm working on another doctorate right now, which I always forget about, but I shouldn't put it on the back burner all the time. Um, I always suddenly I'll be like, oh my gosh, I have to write a 10 page paper for tomorrow. Um, because <laughs> I, I tend to put it off because I have so many other things to do. But it's good. Like I said, I'm just, I'm so um, happy to be useful. I mean, I've studied and studied and studied for so many years, and I feel like this is what I've studied for. I'm not, um, I'm not uh, one of a million speech speech pathologists in one area. Which is that's not to say that every single one of them is not important because they are. But being one of very few people who have the tools to be able to um, to really serve these children and families and adults um, with disabilities here in Guatemala, it's a privilege. And, and I've taken it very seriously, my role as teacher of teachers. Um, and I really am not focusing on working directly with clients anymore. I'm more focused on creating that professional association for speech therapists. And we have weekly um, workshops, trainings that we've been doing online with speech pathologists in the United States and Spain and Argentina and Mexico um, who have donated their their time to let us learn from them, which has been amazing. We've had more than 100 trainings in the past year, for year and a half for our um, speech therapists. So we're learning all the time and we're learning from, straight from the experts. We have so many professors at U.S. universities who have who I know charge lots of money for other kinds of presentations and they have donated their time to us. So we're, we're so appreciative of them. So the first goal was creating that, that professional association so that we can kind of um, make people realize that we are professionals um, because we're not really highly valued as a profession here in Guatemala right now. Um, we want them to see that we are continually seeking the latest information and that we're continuing to learn. We're not stopping at our three-year degree. We're continuing to, to learn and learn more and stay up to date with, with all of that evidence-based practice. And now my next goal is to create, is to open a university here. So I want to create a university for allied health professionals um, and really improve the the education from the beginning for, for these um, professions. So that's why I went back to school now and I'm doing my doctorate in education in higher education so that I can um, learn about that world that I know nothing about <laughs> um, to be able to open up a, a high quality university here. So 2025 is the goal. That's what I've got in my mind that I'm going to open. To launch. <laughs> that's launch date by want- 2025. That's awesome. Well, I, again, I'm so, I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, I just, I look back at, you know, I'm thinking about what I've accomplished in my life and it just dulls in comparison to what you've already done. Oh, but I'm sure it's very useful wherever you are. I'm sure you've been very productive. Everybody has their own gifts and talents and I've just been lucky to be, to have landed here and to have found a purpose. So. Well, I think I was just going to say, you've been given a great gift and that you found your purpose and you know your purpose. And I think a lot of people are out there sort of wandering around doing, maybe doing good work, but maybe not always feeling like it's their purpose. And that's, that's a, that's a powerful thing when you find it. Completely. Yeah. I think too, that um, 
if you want to feel needed, you should be a speech language pathologist because <laughs> we are, we're needed everywhere. And if you are somewhere where you don't feel needed and appreciated, then there is, you know, hop online and find the places that need you more. And cause, and I think especially as a telepractitioner, I have never felt so needed because they're connecting through me this way because they, they need it and they can't find it any other way. Um, so I, I just love everything that you're doing too. And gosh, if Todd says he feels <laughs> like his life compares and compel, um, pales in comparison, then I'm really down on the totem pole. But we do. We all have something that we can give and, and share with other people. And I think that's huge that that it's not about comparing. It's about, you know, sharing <laughs> because exactly um, we all have something to offer. And, and if you guys want to give presentations here in Guatemala, you're more than welcome. Or you want to present or you want to teach at my university. You're more than welcome to do that, too, because everything adds up. We say that in Spanish, todo suma, that everything adds up together. And, and we need everybody is an important piece of this puzzle. And, and we need everybody to be able to make this work. So in no way, shape or form, am I an expert in everything? And I and I remind my colleagues here of that all the time that I'm learning right along with them. Um, and so I, I think we just have to keep things in perspective that way and say that we're all on this journey and we're all learning from each other and we can all help each other in different ways. And, and that's valuable. Everybody giving their part is, is valuable. Well, I, I, I like your philosophy. How can people get in contact with you or support everything that you're doing if they, they want to reach out? Well, yeah, we would love all the help we can get for sure <laughs> down here. Um, definitely look us up on Facebook or Instagram for Luna Autismo. It's just Luna Autism and then with an O at the end <laughs> for people who don't speak Spanish. Um, I have a website now, which is just dramandablackwell.com. So you can contact me through there. Um, and I've been getting contacted by a lot of people that that saw the SLP Telecon um, mm-hmm. Uh, presentation that we did back in March or April. I can't remember when that was. It was uh, insane. The number of people that watched it was like over 50,000 speech pathologists, I think. Um, So I've I've gotten the opportunity to do a lot of trainings with school districts um, and clinics who are switching over to telepractice. So I've really, really enjoyed doing that. But um, yeah, so look us up on Facebook, Instagram, or the website. I'd love to get in touch. Well, man, the best of luck to you and everything that you're doing. It's amazing. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode. We will be back with a new interview next time, next week. Uh, We do apologize for that for this episode, but I hope you enjoyed hearing that episode with Amanda Blackwell. And we would really appreciate if you guys could help us out by reviewing and sharing this podcast with your colleagues, your friends, neighbors, countrymen, and help us attract more listeners, more subscribers. That's always what we're after. And with that, until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 